Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. And today we have Desiree Pasquale. Did I pronounce your name correctly, Desiree? Pasquale, yes. Pasquale. Okay, thank you for that. And I want to welcome you to the Happy at Work podcast. And to kick us off, I would love uh, for you to tell us a little bit about your background and your work as a mental health counselor, especially the work you've done with vulnerable populations over the years. Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Um, I have been in human resources for over 20 years, mostly in healthcare um, within small startup uh, companies and large organizations. But I've always had a really deep curiosity about the human psyche and um, have dedicated myself to to supporting people in in confronting the ambivalence and ambiguities of life. Um, So at some point in my career, I decided to study psychology because I wanted to delve deeper. And um, and post-graduation, I took... um, a little bit of uh, a different path, shall we say, (laughs) because um, I was really curious about uh, the experience uh, of people at the margins. Uh, So I did a lot of pro bono work with um, uh, homeless folks on street, literally on street corners and in San Francisco. And I did some uh, work in soup kitchens uh, and uh, with people in prisons and the victims of crimes. Um, it was work that was incredibly meaningful and has really informed the work that I'm doing today. And quite frankly, it's come in handy in, in my human resources career as well, particularly as we navigated through the utter uncertainty uh, of the pandemic. Because what I realized in my work with uh, these marginalized populations was that there are no cookie cutter answers. And the same was true for us uh, as HR uh, practitioners and leaders during the pandemic. Um, there is a maturity and a wisdom in knowing what we don't know and knowing how to ask the right questions to find approaches that are uniquely impactful in addressing the situation at hand. As you may imagine, providing psychotherapy to somebody in an office versus providing psychotherapy to somebody who's incarcerated requires a very different skill set and a very different container and framing. And so I've kind of translated that into how I approach challenges, problems, uh, uh, difficult situations in the workplace uh, today. And one of our employees recently said, 
uh, Desiree never gives you advice. <laughs> Instead, she asks the right questions to help you consider the best course of action. And that's how I've always worked. Uh, so I try to tap into the reality of the moment and the inherent wisdom of the person that I'm with. And most often, people carry the answers to their questions already within them. And it's my job to just facilitate that discovery process. So that's how the two come together. Wow. That's amazing, Desiree. That's so well, so interesting. You work at Headspace now, right, is where, where you're working now. Um, so working with marginalized groups, how did you get to the point? Like, what were the influences maybe earlier in your career or earlier in your life that kind of got you to the point of doing this, this such this important work? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so it'll get a little personal now. Um, I am a first generation immigrant. And as such, I am very aware of what it means to fend at the margins and what it means to be a person of modest means as well. Um, I can get by with very little. And to this day, I live a very humble life. However, I'm also fully aware that access to opportunities such as, you know, proper healthcare, education, and all sorts of resources can be really difficult, if not impossible, for those who live at the margins. Um, there are socioeconomic barriers, ethnic background, physical ability, which all can present barriers to entry. So as an immigrant, um, the idea of belonging has always been paramount for me, perhaps um, because I was so painfully familiar with the feeling of being different, looking different, speaking differently, uh, having been raised with different cultural norms, uh, and that feeling of not quite fitting in. Um, when you experience, and I'll call it hardship, and I don't want to sound like a martyr, but when you experience things like that, um, people can go one of two ways. You can either become bitter and cynical, or you can channel that energy towards developing radical compassion and radical love for others, and then dedicate your life's work to doing what you can to create pathways to success for others. Um, and I think not everyone can point to a moment, you know, that exact time and place when they decided what kind of leader they want to be, I can. Um, and that moment for me was in grad school, um, on my journey towards um, earning my degree in psychology. I had a professor at the time, and, and, and I want to name her here because she was so pivotal in my life. Her name was Chris Brandenberger. And uh, rather than trying to press me into, homo into this homogenized idea of who I should be as a student of psychology, um, and obviously, there were language barriers and cultural differences. differences. Um, she showed a profound interest in my perspectives and expressed regard for my ideas and reflected a sense of significance and value back to me. She was very clear that I was valuable, fascinating even, because 
I added a very different and new perspective to the class. And that was an experience I had never had before. And I remember, distinctly remember, working on the final project for that course. And I had the, the, the title for the project that I had chosen was Altruism. And uh, exploring what moves people to selflessly extend themselves be, beyond their own organic worlds to help and support others. And I remember sitting up late nights, energized by the work I was doing and the license she gave me to make this project my own, own and to use my unique voice. Those hours flew by and I couldn't remember ever being more excited about a project. She highlighted the project as a very high level project at the end of it. And that was a game changer for me because I realized what is possible when we create communities that honor and elevate the very uniqueness of each person, uh, engagement and morale skyrocket, so does creativity and innovation. That moment was the moment where I became crystal clear about the leader that I wanted to be. And uh, that's also why to this day, I subscribe to this tenet of lift while you climb. It's always been an important facet of my work and how I want to show up in each moment with anyone that I encounter, whether it's at work or in my personal life. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, that's a, I mean, that's amazing. And, um, you know, you think about that, that pivotal moment um, in your own grad school experience and as, um, as, for people who lead other people, for managers out there, when you think about how do you create that internal culture within the workplace? So for Headspace as the chief people officer, how do you create that internal culture where maybe those moments will happen for other people within the organization? And then also how do you kind of match that internal culture to what's what the external perception of Headspace is because Headspace as an application is see has a great reputation and is seen as a mindfulness app that that really does promote well-being so how how do you how are you able to uh, create that that parallel between the internal culture and then also have that be reflective of um, on the external as well mm, yes Culture, um, culture is, if I may offer my definition, is a shared set of values, norms, and attitudes that guide and support a workplace community. Um, in my humble opinion, culture is a verb. And it is reflected in the way people interact with one another and how they collaborate and how they move through their days with one another. Um, it deeply influences whether people are happy and excited to show up to work or not. And ultimately, it infuses everything we put out, including our product and our services. Happy cultures create products infused with happiness and joy. And that space, we say you can't pour from an empty cup. 
So we have to model and give ourselves internally what we offer externally. Um, I strongly believe that robust and healthy cultures are built bidirectionally, bottoms up and top down. Um, it's a confluence of leaders and employees working in sync to define who we want to be in, in the context of this organization and our mission. Um, people, employees want to be involved in defining that. Um, we need to consider including employee voices in that process because that creates a sense of ownership, pride, and purpose. And I can give you an example of uh, how we created our internal values that ultimately shaped or shape our culture in a bottoms-up process. When we merged, Headspace and Ginger merged in October of 2021, we knew that we were merging two very strong cultures and that we needed together uh, to define a shared set of values that would guide us during the integration post-merger. And we could have very easily retreated as a management team and behind closed doors figure out what that would look like. And then, you know, un un could have then unveiled those values uh, to our now merged team. Uh, we were very intentional about not doing that and doing it very differently and including every employee voice in what that new set of values would look like. And we started, and I'll give you just a quick rundown. We started by taking the combined values, both legacy values, I should say, and putting them in a survey. And we put them out to our people and we said, pick your top five out of these sets, two sets of values. What are the top five that are going to help us win together? From that survey, we understood what was most important to our people and what they needed to navigate the challenges inherent in a merger and forming a new merged culture. Um, we then said, okay, this is great. You told us what you need. Now what we're going to do is we're going to road test what you have chosen, your top five. And we sat down and I wrote out I think it was three or four ethical dilemmas as they show up in the workplace. And then we invited all employees back to the table and we had subgroups of 10 to 15 each and we gave them the four ethical dilemmas and we said to them, now let's see if those values that you have chosen actually help you address these day-to-day -day dilemmas and help you navigate through them. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, the result, by the way, of that exercise was that there was one um, value that was missing because we also asked people, and if those five don't, then tell us what's missing. And the piece that was missing was assume good intent. And so we took all of that information, finalized the value, celebrated them, but Every single employee in the organization had a part in creating those values. And that is what I mean by bottoms-up processes. Did the leadership team vet those values? Yes, of course they did. But it was a collaboration that now makes every 
employee bought in, engaged, and proud of the values uh, that we actually selected together. And we um, have ways for people to shout one another out from living those values and then describing what do they look like uh, in action. So those values are always at the front of everything we do, and they help us resolve the difficult uh, situations and moments. That is a culture initiative that is deeply bonding for a community. Um so uh, that is just uh, a quick rundown on, on culture and what it looks like to create culture and action. But um, aside from that, how do we live what we offer externally, internally? Um, is compassionate management. It's one of the products that we offer to other organizations. What does that look like? We train our managers on having compassionate one-on-one -on -one conversations. There's a question that we encourage our managers to ask, how are you really, really, really twice? That wasn't an accident. And what really, really means is I'm shutting down Slack I'm putting away my phone, I'm putting away all distractions, and I am here for you right now because I am invested and interested in hearing your answer. So that is something that's weaved into how we organize uh, our one-on-ones. Um, the other thing we do is we start all team and all hands meetings with a mindfulness meditation to clear our heads, to ground, to be fully present uh, for, for the meeting at hand. Um, another thing that we've implemented is mind days. We call them mind days. That is every other Friday is a day off for our employees. So we essentially have a uh, um, uh, four day work weeks, twice a month. Um, and those mind days are set aside uh, so that people can take care of their mental health, their physical health, and spend them in ways that bring them the most joy. So those are just a few examples. Great examples. I love that ethical dilemmas um scenario review when you were building out your values. I thought that was a really smart way to do it because I think we sort of know that's one of the reasons why we want values, but to have them practice it and realize this can help us decide what action to take. I love that. That was that was really cool. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about work that you're doing that's called Becoming Superhuman and tell us about, about that there's some real intentional ideas there. And there's also another concept called Elmo moments that I'm like, what? What's going on with Elmo moments? I'd love to hear about that. Yes, I'll share some of that with you. I'm happy to. Um, it is one of the series uh, uh, that we recently launched, actually the second half of 2022, uh, that has been a big game changer in our organization. Um, it's taught us to work smarter, not harder. Um, you know, we've uh, uh, been busy. Um, the pandemic 
uptake in demand for mental health care, hyperscaling to meet that need. Uh, we provide mental health care 24-7, 365 days a year, serve 100 million people in 190 countries. So we've been busy and we needed to figure out how to do our work sustainably so that we could continue to do it joyfully and wholeheartedly. So as human beings, our energy is finite. Um, and the way we think about this is imagine a glass of water. Um, the full glass of water represents your energy reservoir for the day. That's it. That's all you got. Your container, you have that one glass. And uh, many leaders ask, how can we turn up that energy? How we can how can we pile into the glass beyond the rim? And I'm here to tell you, biologically, that's just not possible. Um, so what we need to do instead to increase efficiency is to plug the holes that leak and drain our energy reservoirs so that we can focus on what at Ed Space Health, we call the big rocks. What are some of those energy drains? You all know, um, don't need me to tell you. Uh, non sequitur meetings, unclear objectives and goals, relentless pings that distract our brains and seduce us to focus on low importance, low importance tasks rather than the most impactful work. Um, so some of the things um, that we're doing at Headspace is we're operationalizing building focus blocks into our day-to-day -day so that our employees can do the deep high impact work. Um, we're legitimizing turning down meeting invites that don't have a clear agenda or designated purpose. Um, what's this meeting for? Are we here to make a decision or to brainstorm or to inform? Um, you know, we want clarity around that when we say yes to a meeting. We're giving people permission to mindfully head out of a meeting when they feel that their presence doesn't add value. Um, how many meetings have you sat through in the last month where you've asked yourself, am I really adding value here? You know, all while thinking about the 15 other things that you have to do. Um, when the level of psychological safety in an organization is low, people are stifled by anxiety to act uh, uh, and act against responsible and self-determined ways for fear that they may be regarded as less committed, less relevant. You can add your own adjectives. We've, I think we've all been in that situation. Um, and so people feel compelled to suffer through such meetings. And it's nonsense. It's a waste of time and ultimately a waste of money. And in fact, the opposite is true. Let's give people back some self-agency to decide do I add value here or not? Or should I dedicate my time to more important tasks? Um, if we give people license to head out, um, we also need to be diligent about note-taking, action items, et cetera, in every meeting so that people can stay informed asynchronously if needed. Um, and Elmo moments, now I'll get to the second part of your questions. 
so Elmo, you know, little red, red Elmo. Yes, we all know who that is. Um, is actually an acronym that stands for enough, let's move on. Uh, and what that means is we also all have been in meetings where there was a stated meeting purpose, and then you kind of trail off and go off on tangents, and so very quickly a meeting can become uh, unproductive and then go over time, and, you know, uh, again, we've all been there. So uh, to give people license to call the Elmo moment, to say enough, let's move on, and redirect people back to the focus and the stated purpose of the meeting is also a huge productivity booster. Um, yeah, there's so much for Elmo moments. And I've heard of companies actually having like little plush Elmos that they, instead of saying Elmo, just hold up to the screen and everybody has a good laugh and we refocus and and move on. We are not doing that yet, but I, I think it's actually a great idea. I do too. That's a great idea. <laughs> I, I just was thinking I'm going to send all of my team uh, little Elmos, I think, for Christmas. And <laughs> we can all, you know, start to implement that process. Um I've been in way too many meetings where I probably could have held up an Elmo or two uh, to, to help re refocus the meeting. There's another framework I would love for you to talk about, which is the 3M framework that talks about macro, mezzo, and micro breaks. How does that get implemented? Yeah, um, and uh, maybe before we talk about the 3Ms, it would be helpful to uh, uh, to talk a little bit about burnout. Um, uh, research studies uh, have discovered three patterns uh, that mark the pathway to burnout. And the first is profound emotional exhaustion. The second is general, negativity and cynicism. And the third is feelings of professional inefficacy. And um, when you think about your workforce, who in your workforce do you think are your early detectors of those signals in our employees? We have found that it is our mid-level managers. Um, and one highly effective way to prevent burnout is training our people managers. And I mean everyone who has the privilege to manage another human being in your organization to detect those signs of burnout and then equip them with resources to triage. Uh, we have to teach managers to lead mindfully uh, and with compassion. That is, rather than shying away from conversations that address those symptoms, to intentionally hold space, but with the right resources uh, and toolkits in their arsenal. Um, and then make sure that those resources are easy to access, that they are culturally competent and that they speak uh, uh, to people with various needs at various ends of the mental health spectrum. Mental health isn't a race. It's a journey. We all have mental health. Um, it just depends on where we sit on the spectrum. 
early intervention uh, is practiced in all other areas of medicine to prevent symptoms from escalating. It only makes sense that we um, that we do that with mental health as well. Um, we have seen that early intervention substantially improves health outcomes. So um, why don't we do that when it comes to mental, mental and emotional health? Um, we, you know, I would invite us uh, to practice mental health hygiene, just as we uh, practice dental hygiene. Uh, that's also why our care approach at Headspace uh, is rooted in getting uh, our members, our clients to maintenance uh, mode as quickly as possible while ensuring that there are longitudinal resources that'll uh, stick by their side if they need higher levels of uh, care. Um, should their symptoms exacerbate, um, you know, and something as simple as mindfulness, for example, uh, which we can all do for free. <laughs> um, uh, uh, mindfulness is the ability to notice thoughts and emotions arise and pass away rather than merely being swept away by them. Um, and it's actually a kind of a superpower, y'all, um, because it allows us to be intentional about how we respond to any given impulse. So we we live in an environment, we talked a little bit about that earlier, that seduces our intention, seduces mm -hmm. our attention at every turn, and even monetizes it. Um, and it's really easy to get swept away and overwhelmed with all of the dings and the clacks and notifications from the very tools that we use to make a living. <laughs> so in, in an increasingly digitized uh, world, uh, attention has become a valuable, valuable currency. And, and once we realize that, uh, we can also become really intentional about where we direct it, both at work and in our personal lives. So good, Desiree. The daily, the aspect or the kind of mindset of thinking about this is daily work, right? That it's not just when something really bad happens that you should like be thinking about your mental health, but it's really every single day we should be investing in that, right? And spending time thinking about how we ground ourselves a little bit. Um, so I just, I love so much. I love this conversation. I know Tess does too. So we were just so grateful for all of your just amazing ideas and just really inspired by what you've shared with us today. So would you just wrap us up by maybe sharing some kind of words to leave our listeners with or, you know, some words of wisdom um, from the work that you do? Well, absolutely. I, I uh, hope that... Um, maybe by very quickly outlining the concept of macro, meso, and micro breaks, I can give people something really tangible that they can take into their day. Okay. The key to avoiding burnout is to cognitively close out our stress cycles daily. And, uh, and that requires complete psychological detachment um, for these breaks in between stress cycles to be effective. So what a break is not is taking a walk while talking to a colleague on the phone about work and ruminating about pending responsibilities or taking a shower, planning your day and your week ahead. 
what a break is, is turning off all of your devices, being completely unreachable, um, and maybe solving a puzzle or learning a new skill, such as horseback riding or something you're that you can completely immerse yourself in. We literally have to intentionally redirect our brains to achieve this state of psychological detachment. Um, and as humans, unlike our devices, we have to detach to recharge. So take your micro, meso, and macro breaks. Macro breaks are monthly breaks that are at least a half a day where you can completely detach in the way that I just described. Meso breaks, once a week, take two to four hours to detach. To And then the micro day breaks are the daily breaks where the duration is maybe minutes where you can just interject these little mini breaks in between your tasks. You will feel a renewed sense of joy and energy almost immediately. Um, and uh, I, I hope that we can all set aside that time for ourselves. Well, Desiree, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experience with us and, and the listeners. I know that, um, you know, just listening to you, that Headspace must be a pretty amazing place to work considering that you're leading and building uh, the culture that takes all of this into consideration. So congratulations to you on your career and your journey and look forward to staying in touch and seeing what comes next for you and, and where your journey takes you. Thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure to be with you all. Oh, thank you so much, Desiree. That was a wonderful conversation. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.